Welcome to the Simplified Marketing Podcast. Straight talking ideas to grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Simplified Marketing Podcast. Grow your trade, the show that aims to help you grow your business. Now you can find out more about us at simplifiedmarketing.co.uk. Oh, no, you can't actually. You can find out more about us at marketingsimplified.co.uk. And of course, we're available on all good podcast streams. Now, as always, my name's John Lawley and I'm your web wizard. I'm Georgia and I'm your brand guardian. My name's Andrew Black and I help trades get off the tools. Now we're kind of heading into April and of course our hair is getting a bit long right now. You know, we're suffering. We need to book that appointment. And that's the major thing on my mind. But in the world out there at large, we're now talking about problems that you as tradespeople may encounter um, in your everyday business. So I've got 10 questions. I'm going to ask the experts about this and we're going to find resolutions to those questions. So are we ready, guys? Yeah. <laughs> so... That's great. So our first one, the first problem uh, tradespeople probably have quite a lot of problems with are late paying customers. How would you sort that out, Andrew? The problem you'll have with late paying customers is they're always going to be there. Even if your qualification process is absolutely spot on, even if your terms and conditions are absolutely brilliant, and even if you get them to email back in writing that they accept the quote and they've read and understood your terms and conditions. Now, normally this makes it a lot easier to get the payment out of them because you've got all those levels of checks to fall back on and trying to squeeze money. But unfortunately, without those checks, there's always going to be a small proportion of customers uh, due to sometimes personal circumstances that just struggle to pay or, or won't pay. Um, communication is always the key in this. The more and more you can communicate with the customer and keep it open and keep it on a friendly level, the easier it is. But those terms and conditions are there if you need to kind of uh, send a letter, call in the heavies, as it were, from a legal perspective. Um, and to start to think about maybe on bigger jobs would be to stagger your payments and just leave a very, very small proportion as a final payment after any snagging has been taken care of. So would it be preferential then to have all your paperwork and ducks in a line beforehand? So you're sending out that contract, the paperwork there, people know what to expect, people know when payments are expected. But conversely, why would someone withhold a payment? People won't hold. Will, people will hold back payments if they're not happy with the job. First and foremost, um, if they feel something hasn't been explained to them, which, as we've just mentioned, you can kind of navigate around all of those issues. Um, but most of the time, it's you'll probably find there's a personal circumstance or a reason. They could actually be financially in trouble themselves or a little bit short and just have too much pride to have that open communication with you. So if you are quite friendly with your customers or you do have or have built up a relationship by this point, you know, you can show the human side of what you do and what you're about and just even help them with the payment plan. But just so there's something written and something agreed to get that payment, it's when the communication stops talking from one side or both sides that real problems occur. So, so Georgia, how do you deal with late-paying customers? Are you, do you send the heavies around or do you just kind of pick up the phone and shout at them? Well, you know me, I'm quite a tough cookie, so it'd be the latter, wouldn't it? But interestingly, I've actually had a similar conversation with one of my trades a couple of weeks ago who was asking me this exact question. How do I get my clients to start paying me a little bit more? And I was having a look at some of his stationary designs. And just from like a marketing and branding point of view, just making sure that on your invoices, um, you know, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink, but just making sure your terms on there 
if it is a seven-day payment, 14-day or literally on-site on the job. But it's really, really clear. Put it in a different colour, put it in bold, put it near the top of the invoice. His brand colours were actually red and black. So having put red text to say, you need to uh, pay your invoice in three days, wouldn't have worked for him. So I said, you know, put it in a blue or something that contrasts, that really stands out. Um, and that's sort of some small tips that you can try and do in your stationary design just to try and, you know, make sure that it's crystal clear for clients and you can't be, they can't say that they've actually missed something. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Crystal clear. Yeah, I think the other thing to add as well is nowadays it doesn't matter if you're a one-man band, you know, we can all offer card payments. And so being able to either take a card payment either on a machine or on an app on your phone or having a payment link on the invoices that you've emailed to the client. So you're just trying to remove those steps for them. I think as newer businesses starting out, people tend to struggle to actually ask for money. They navigate around the whole issue. They talk about their job and their expertise and so on and so forth. But one of the first things to get kind of sorted is that that initial discussion about money and what your expectations are sorry, um, in terms of you receiving payment and in terms of the customer paying you. And if that's on completion or 30 days or however you want to structure your business or what you need for your own cash flow, it should be at the forefront of your business because we're not registered charities. Yeah, very good point. If you're in business, you're not there as a charity or to supply people with credit for their own business. Now, the second um, thing that apparently that um, comes up a lot, and actually I think all three of us have had this quite a lot, people asking for a quick favour. How do you deal with this, Georgia? If I'm going to help someone with the design a quick favour, that, that's 10 years of working knowledge. That's four years of study. That's 15 years prior to loving the arts in all the way back to being four years of age and picking up pens and pencils and colouring in when all my friends were still, I don't know, playing Game Boys or, or running outside with their bikes. Like, it's lifetime passion for some of us. Um, so quick favours. Going back to what Andrew said, we have to remember we're businesses, we're not charities. And actually, when someone does ask for a favour, the way I go about it is um, I kind of ignore the word favour per se and I say, yeah, it's no problem, I can help you. And I always give three options of ways I can help. So maybe there might be a part of the favour that actually wouldn't cost them anything because it might be um, a bit of advice that I'm giving them. That actually, if you just did that, that probably solve your problem. Or if you need me to help you and do X, Y, and Z, this will cost this amount. Or actually, if you're all singing, all dancing version, I can bring in John and he can help us do this as well. And then that way, when people feel they've got options uh, and they know, okay, you've set the parameters, you feel better, I think, as a business person because you feel that you're still helping the client, but also you're not being taken advantage of. So that's the way I get around it. But about uh, you, John, you probably have similar methods because we're quite similar in what we do. Good point. Yes, there are similar methods. And you're right. It's um, turning the question, I think, back round to the other person, like you say, and giving them the options. And I think that's a really good way of, of putting it back to them. You can do this, go away and learn it, or you can pay for this, or we can do it like this. Perfect. What about you, though, Andrew? I mean, you must get, there's a trade or different trades out on site. There must be a lot of people who just say, oh, while you're here, could you just? It's normally always in the delivery of the customer. You know, the customer knows if they're being cheeky and I let them know that they're being cheeky what they're asking. And I think it's also a case of depending on what trade you are, a lot of trades, sort of electricians and plumbers, gas engineers, for example, air conditioning engineers, we have a diagnosis fee. You know, we have a kind of investigation fee. So if it's 
could you come around and assess what this problem is? Then that's like going to the dentist and getting a checkup. You pay for it. And then if there's further works involved, you pay for that as well. If it's a case of, can you come and give me a free quotation? Um, depending on how your business is structured, maybe you have to go to take measurements. A lot of that can be done via the phone. So we really try and eliminate and educate the customer on how we want the work to come back to us. You know, we're the expert. You got in touch with me. How can I solve this problem for you? Let me try and understand the problem a bit more. And let me see if you are sort of trying to take the mic and get something for free. And then if they are getting something for free, but they've already spent a load of money, do you know what? Most of the time, that's about offering that customer service and that, that extra service what's required. It's, I think the, the biggest trick comes or the biggest problem I've found with trades is it's always is, oh, you'll come over for free and basically assess and diagnose the problem and they'll not pay for that. And then you give me a free quote. And it's like, I just explained very clearly that that's, that's not what I'm in business to do. And that's not how we, we operate. I certainly started out like that to try and get free clients. It was, you know, this no call out fee mixed with, you know, for the hours first free, there's there are two different things. I don't think anybody offers a call out charge now, but you certainly offer, you know, you certainly are charged the hourly rate to kind of diagnose. So education and communication, again, really for, for most of these customers, but you know, you know, you know when customers are taking the mic or not. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're right, calling them out. But um, but yeah, I, I, education up front, not being, not being too friendly maybe with that person and having that script that you're going to pass on to the um, next employee of yours that they can repeat, repeating those prices and, and price points and how it works. So one of the next things apparently, and Andrew is probably going to be a better judge of this, um, is apparently there's a lot of bullying um, with apprentices in the trades world is that true andrew it's very difficult nowadays because everybody's changed you know generations have changed i think generations upon generations will change you know i would say my dad's generation was the last emotionally detached male figures that are out there and and my generation our generation john seems to be very in touch with, with lots of different things so i think it's more of a rites of passage thing that you go through when you're learning any trade whether that be on the tools or whether it be in design and the creative side of things that you guys do there's going to be that level of of you know wind ups pranking um and so on but it's just the rites of passage and when you see the first year guy become the second year guy and repeat the cycle to the first year guy and so, <laughs> so on and so forth, you know don't be wrong there's a line and i'm sure that line has been crossed on some of the larger sites but personally, with the different trades that I've worked with and obviously the trades business I've been involved in myself, I've never seen it. And bear in mind, my son's about to get into the industry next year. I can't wait for him to get it off someone else, frankly. It's going to be, it's, it's necessary for kind of that growing up process. Yeah, I believe, I believe, you know, in the same way you go to school and you're educated on certain subjects, but you're really there for more of the social activities and the conversations and building up that, it sort of gets you ready for the workplace environment, if, if that makes sense. <clears throat> so happy with a little bit of gentle ribbing, um, just not going too far, like tarring and feathering people. Yeah. Okay, fine. I, I, I can live with that. That sounds all right. Um, right. Now, the, the next one that, that came up on this um, survey was, was about fixing DIY bodge jobs. Now, I know I have fixed a heck of a lot of DIY bodge job websites. Um, but Georgia, do, ev when people start out, pretty much everyone draws their own logo in clip art? Yes, they do. I didn't think clip art was still alive, if I'm honest. But then I always get that client that reminds me that it is. Uh, and it's sad. Yes. It, well, 
when they come to me with that, you know that they're a startup company and that we all started from somewhere, didn't we? Well, we didn't have big budgets to be spending in certain areas and where we can give something a go ourselves, whether that's our design, our account, we'll give them a go until we realise, oh, crumbs, I can't bloody do um, my tax return. I have no idea what these words mean. And oh my gosh, my logo looks like something my five-year-old has drawn. That's certainly not going to get me in with the big property developers that I'm trying to get in with. So I think there, there seems to be this sort of realisation turning point. Maybe it's, I, I found the pattern to be more like two years in, where a business has really started to, to get some uh, traction and uh, they're starting to get their own clients and they're starting to realise, you know, um, as, as a serious business person, and then they're starting to look at their business branding and thinking, do you know what, I think this is holding me back. That that's when I notice I start getting the calls from those younger businesses um, where they realise that actually they're starting to lose out on jobs now because where they started with a, a simpler client, a, 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 maybe a lower end client, and they, they're starting to grow and try and veer into a bigger, higher end market and they keep hitting the stumbling blocks. It's because then they're not being taken seriously because their brand is not representing them in the right way. Um, so, yeah, we come along and we get all our tools out and make sure that they're branded accordingly as to who their ideal client is. But um, I have seen some semi-impressive stuff from the trades. When they when they, I do open up my email, so I've got this form together and I put this logo together, what do you think? And it's like you have to be really careful with your words because you feel, oh, do you know what, they've probably spent hours on that and I really don't want to crush them. <laughs> Same way I wouldn't want to be crushed, I guess, if I'm doing DIY in my house and then I have to call the handyman around to try and fix it. And uh, it's a terrible job. So, um, yeah, it's, we all try. We all have to start somewhere, don't we? But then it's about recognising where our skills end and we need to pass it on to somebody else. And I suppose, Andrew, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that people don't um, install boilers by themselves and they get a trained professional. It isn't <laughs> illegal, I think. Um, but you must have seen quite a lot of really rubbish work in people's houses yeah i mean you're right fortunately not gas although you do see a lot of kind of people that aren't qualified uh, to work on gas or maybe have been previously qualified but currently aren't you see that a lot i get asked by a lot of builders to come in and, and look over other people's works and, and so on and so forth which is still quite worrying seeing as there is you know an abundance of people that are qualified to do it um lot with lots of recommendations and backings and so on and so forth but it just shows you how people still are how happy to make sort of cuts and sacrifices in terms of for the sake of saving a bit of money. Um, but in terms of DIY and plumbing and things like that, yeah, you see it, you see it all over the all over the place. And to be honest, it just means more work for for the professional tradespeople out there. So, you know, keep going. I think I read this morning that um B and Q prices, profits are up by 44% because the amount of DIY that's gone on during lockdown. So um, another six months and the trades will be even more busy when all that stuff is part <laughs> So there'll be a heck of a lot more bodge jobs to, uh, to fix up. My favourite one was uh, on Instagram once where someone was saying, I've transformed my kitchen. I've painted my tiles. Um, and we'll leave it at that. You can guess what might have happened. Now, one of the other things um, that comes up regularly and is associated with tradespeople is um, having nightmare dealings with HMRC. Um, and Andrew, you might be able to, not, not that you have had trouble with HMRC, obviously not, um, but, you know, from people you've spoken to in the industry, what, what tends to happen there? As Georgia mentioned, you know, you have the experts and you've got to have either a good bookkeeper and or accountant with you throughout the process. 
with HMRC, you can't hide. And if they haven't caught up with you yet, they will catch up with you yet. So get everything in order straight away. Because most of the time, the nightmare comes from where the person either doesn't understand something or has deliberately tried to hide something. And whether that be CIS registration or deducting CIS or sending statements, or whether that's just keeping track of your expenditure or so on and so forth. With the tools that are available now in terms of the accounting software, in terms of taking receipts, photos of receipts on your phone that links to payments, you can very easily sort of manage a lot of the processes and actions and transactions, but you've got to get everything above board early doors. Um, otherwise, yeah, it can be a nightmare and it mounts up. It can mount up and I've seen it. I've seen it happen where, where different businesses have had loads and loads of CIS to, to pay or to, um, to pay HMRC, but don't have the original certificates from the companies that maybe should have deducted them previously. And it just becomes a whole horrible mess. So on a month to month basis, your administration should be, if you've been deducted CIS or if you are due to pay VAT for that month, siphon off the VAT, get the CIS certificates and just treat it as important as getting your estimates and invoices out and you won't fall into trouble. It's not something to be scared of, it's just education. But it's it's easily done because they feel like this big, horrible authority that we should worry about. And they're not, that's just what they do for a living and we do this for a living and we've all got to get on. But of course, they will come after the little guy as, as quickly as possible. So good accountant, good bookkeeper, very important. Now, the next thing that came up um, was um, around tools. Um, now, this doesn't necessarily happen to me that much, um, but tool theft apparently is a very big issue. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah, you, you see it a lot, you know, and it's, it's ridiculous how quickly or little time it takes for the opportunities to get into the back of the van. Um, and so the extra, there should be a bit more responsibility on sort of van manufacturers because I've seen people break into vans in seconds. And now every time we get a van, you, it sort of becomes half complete. You've then got to get it fly lined, sign written, and additional locks put on it. Always, always. So before you even start and you put your deposit down, you're looking at probably another, you know, eight, nine hundred pounds for those sort of bits and pieces, and a bit more if you want really good sign writing, which you should have as a business. So it's prevalent. I think the most worrying thing is when tools go missing from site and another tradesperson's taking the tools. That's probably the most sort of horrible and underhand thing that I see that does happen. And that's just not nice. Um, but yeah, you'll see them, by the way, if you guys, when boot sales are back on or even on Facebook marketplace and so on, that's somebody else's tools right there. You know, it's very unlikely that a DIYer has got a professional set of tools. And the difficulty we have is the tool insurance doesn't cover us for much. The excess is normally so high and if we bought the tools a year, two years, three years ago, we won't have the original receipts. And most insurance companies, the, the tool insurance isn't worth the pay, paper is printed off, unfortunately. And short term, for, for guys that are, are living sometimes day to day, um, that's it. We, you know, you're, you're 1,000, 3,000, 5,000 pounds down. You have to cancel your week of uh, work that's in. You got to get that money to get those tools back and you're now stuck in this little sort of cycle. And it's really horrible, horrible. And it can devastate smaller businesses and it can devastate people starting up. Um, so there's not much we can do. Some people empty their vans every night, you know, deadlocks, extra locks. But I've seen it. People will still just take an angle grinder and, and you know, panel into your van if they want to. It's, it's really, it's an issue that's kind of 
underplayed a little bit. I know there's so many issues going on. So which one do you bring to the top, you know, but the kind of direct effects and, and obviously you guys both work with a lot of trades. Um, but if, if ever you sort of open up to your trades or they open up to you, you know, this is this is a really big issue that will affect a number of them. Have you guys experienced that from, from them at all? I even had a client, he had his van um, ripped open three times in about six weeks. Um, and he, he'd, he'd gone to everyone, he'd spoken to everyone he could think of security-wise. He had all the proper locks on there, everything else. And um, I said in one of our marketing sessions, how does this keep happening? Like, maybe you're not, not I'm putting the blame with you, but maybe we need to be speaking to someone else to try and help you. And he said, no, literally, they're just, they're coming along. And it's, you can peel open a van like you can a, a tin of beans. You just rip from the top, you pull it down. I'm giving advice here on how to break into a van. This is not the point of this, though, what I'm saying. And they're pulling the tools out. And he's a, he's a big construction outfit. Um, and we had another guy in that kitchen. He just had a baby. And um, he'd had all his tools taken from him. And just like you said, it completely put his business to standstill. He was a one, two-man outfit, and he had everything in this van. Um, and it was actually our networking group. We all clubbed together and managed to raise him £2,000 so that he could buy some tools to get back out there because he had another little one at home already, one on the way. Um, literally, his wife was about to burst. And the poor guy is completely in devastation because he can't go out and then his bread and butter to bring home and support his family. So you hear it constantly. It's honestly so shocking from a non-trade perspective who's not on site, but just hears it from so many clients. I'd love to know if there can be something that can be done about this that's um, much stronger than what there is at the moment. I honestly, it's, it's, I don't know what the solution is. And I've had my van broken into twice. And a couple of guys that used to work with me had their vans broken into as well. And as you say, it's like the locks are on, we've done our checks. It's under a street light, you know. And now, even at home, I live in a luckily quite a nice part of town, but I still reverse up into the back of my house. So you can't access the rear door or the side door. There's no way of getting in. And it's just, you know, the ring doorbell picks people up walking at 3 a.m. It's just, it's it's unavoidable. And you 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 can do everything you can, and maybe there's some peace of mind in it. But you almost want to factor in a new set of tools into your your you know annual forecast just in case, and it's that much of a problem, I believe. Well, there you go, guys. Epidemic, but try and stay safe. Try and do you know put those precautions in place. Um, we don't want um, people to go out of business from uh, some idiot trying to uh, put people out of business and nick their tools. Um, one of the next things that came up, or one of the next things to discuss, are cancellations or rained off days. Um, what's your cancellation policy, uh, Georgia? Well, at the moment, we don't have one. <laughs> we're, we're very much upfront with what we do, because when we do artwork, um, and we're going to produce a proof to somebody, actually, we've done all the work. Um, many times, um, we'll, we'll give our piece of uh, proof to a client, and they'll find it off instantly. There won't be any changes. But we've done everything. It's only if they have a couple of tweaks with some colour changes, etc. So we don't have a cancellation policy because the work has been completed prior to them even being sent anything. So we work very differently to a trade who I guess you pay to to sometimes arrange to come come into the home. Like Andrew said, they might diagnose something and then the work would be on offer afterwards if they need things rectified. But yeah, we don't work with a cancellation policy and that's all in our terms. 
of how we work, which we're actually getting reviewed with Richard Branson's lawyer, may I just name drop, over the next few months. <laughs> I'm super excited. So anything that she's going to be guiding me uh, on when I'm reviewing my terms, I'm thinking is going to be, be pretty good, which bringing it back then to the terms conversation is making sure that you've got some really strong terms in place, whoever you help um, have helped write them and not maybe just writing them yourselves and then making up laws and things that don't exist. So there are obviously UK policies with 14 day cancellation things, et cetera. But I guess if you can, where you can prove all the work has been completed, uh, should that end up in a court of law, then you know, you'd have quite a few legs to stand on. But I guess I know yeah. similar with you, John, with cancellations. I know obviously you work with, um, you work with much higher ticket product than me. So rather than uh, not cancelling in the beginning, you have your payments and stages don't need to manage that yes george yeah that's that's a good point we um don't start a web project until someone's actually paid the deposit and there's a very very strict terms and conditions about what's expected from um, us and what's expected from our clients at different stages so the only way that a project overruns is if we've not been supplied things by the client or if they're asking for a number of different changes which haven't been specified um within that project so it's difficult. We haven't really had, there's only ever been one cancellation, but that's been by mutual consent um, over the years. And that's because we kind of got to a stage where we realised we um, weren't working very well together and it was better to uh, to part ways. Um, but what about, I mean, in the trades world, um, Andrew, do do people generally take a payment up front to, um, to stop that from happening? Or is that something, is, is that just a no-no? Yeah, no, for say some of the larger builders and construction guys, they will have staggered payments like uh, like you guys do. So normally, if it's not a payment up front for you know materials, certainly after the first seven days and once the materials are on site, there'll be a payment there before any work starts. And then there'll be a schedule of works. And if there is something you know out of the ordinary, like you know weather conditions that don't allow it, sometimes it just is what it is, and you just kind of hopefully it might eat away at some of your profits or it might make the job overrun, but it's certainly not going to affect the contract. With the smaller sort of one day, two day, three day jobs, deposits always up front. The deposits in the bank and the date gets moved. And unfortunately, kind of everybody's sort of not working that day or you're getting around and doing what you can do. Um, there's not much to avoid on situations like that. You're right with what Georgia said, you've got the um the 14 day back guarantee, but that's generally if you're not happy with the work, you have the right to cancel once everything's sort of in. And in my time, I've never, never ever seen that. Um, for myself or any of my clients which is you know which is great but yeah having again very clear communication and just having that that sort of payment schedule or deposit up front certainly protects you a lot more I think that was a, a very early mistake I made was like you said you mentioned John about financing other people being a finance broker for the customer you know and you'd be 30 days in and you'd be into the supplier and then waiting for the customer and it's like well at least this way the materials were paid and possibly some of the labors paid as well with that initial upfront payment that was that was a turning point for me i think early on when um you're not financing that the client's project so the deposit that start and then incremental payments throughout the project at certain you know key stages and milestones um actually helps you cover all the costs so you're not paying out of pocket for different freelancers or staff or whoever to actually um continue and then at the end that's the profit 
um, on the job. So everyone's happy by the end of things. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, guys. Um, hope that's been interesting for you guys listening and watching. Don't forget to find out more at marketingsimplified.co.uk and subscribe um, by a Google Podcasts or by a Stitcher or Deezer um, or even old school Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time. That's all for this time. But don't worry, we'll be back with more soon. Stay tuned for new episodes at marketingsimplified.co.uk.